that, that there is not different muscles, there is one big muscle that is the body. So welcome to this episode of Finding Your Range with me, Jeannie Debon, a movement therapist who specializes in hypermobility, EDS and chronic pain. And today I'm absolutely delighted to be speaking to, well, I'm happy to say a good friend of mine, but also an amazing um, movement educator and teacher. So please welcome Anna Baretsaguren. And I'm just gonna read out her bio because she's done so many things. I, um, I don't wanna miss any of them. So I'm just gonna read out and then we'll get chatting to Anna. So Anna is a movement educator, Pilates teacher and myofascial release practitioner. Through self-inquiry, a passion for anatomy and her extensive work helping people recover from injury, she has created Moving Fascia, which is a movement method based on self-release, embodiment and movement techniques developed from the latest fascial research. Her own struggle with catamenial pneumothorax, I hope I said that right, Anna, you can correct me if I said that wrong, this is a rare condition where a woman experiences repetitive lung collapses, has led Anna to a continuous investigation of fascia, focusing on the visceral space and its connections to breath and movement. Anna also holds a postgraduate certificate in anatomical sciences from the University of Edinburgh and has over 500 hours of human dissection research in the dissection lab. She has extensive clinic practice as a myofascial release and visceral manipulation practitioner and has been an educator in various Pilates teacher trainings for the past 12 years. Anna founded Evolve Movement Education in 2013 and she is the owner of Brighton Pilates Studio, a Pilates and health centre in Brighton. Wow, I can take a breath now. <laughs> Talking of breath, that was a lot, wasn't it, to read out. Anna's done so much. Um, in a short space of time. So can't wait to speak to, to you, Anna. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're delighted to have you here. Thank you for, for having me, Ginny. It's always a pleasure to, to see you and to speak to you. Thank you oh, so much for having me. Yeah. And, you know, our offer listeners won't know, but we've been friends for many, many years. And actually, when it says Anna was teaching at a Pilates training, that's how I met Anna. So when I was training um, at uh, Polestar Pilates, which, you, which many of you know I, I've trained with, um, Anna was there and she was one of my mentors. So, you know, she's, uh, she's helped me in my journey. So we became friends then. So, which was, gosh, when was that? That was a long time ago, 20? It was a long time ago. A lot has happened since. Yeah, a long time ago, <laughs> 10, nine years ago. So. So I mentioned there, Anna, about your rare condition, and I do hope I um, pronounced that correctly. So Anna, could you tell us about your condition, your rare condition that we mentioned in your bio? So catamenial pneumothorax is a, is a rare condition that is often related to, to endometriosis. So it's a, it's a woman-only condition. And in this rare condition, the woman experiences a lung collapse repetitively. And the lung collapse is um, either during the menstruation period or during ovulation, most commonly during menstruation. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is probably not as rare as, as, as it is thought to be due to the, the fact that there are you know, many women that have got the condition and haven't been diagnosed. It takes a while for the practitioners to realize that this is what the woman is experiencing. Um, it is not really fully understood how this happens. Uh, most, there are various theories about how the endometrial cells, which are the cells that are meant to be lining the womb, mm -hmm. um, end up in the thoracic cavity. But what, what happens is that those, those endometrial cells um, end up in the lining of the, of the lungs, in the pleura. And during the, during the hormonal changes that come with the cycle, those cells 
um, start to bleed. Uh, so the woman then develops a, a lung collapse mm. and difficulty breathing. Goodness. Yeah, it is. It, so, yeah. so obviously the lung collapses and the lung difficulty breathing is. Is this one yeah. of the things that inspired you to really start to look into breath and, and movement? Because I know, you know, it's a huge passion of yours. Yeah, I, I had obviously already been in a journey of uh, looking at breath as, a, you know, I was a Pilates teacher already. I was a, a myofascial release practitioner and a visceral manipulation practitioner. And breath was something that already truly fascinated me. I had also other reasons for having investigated breath personally even from a from other you know i suffer from crohn's disease as well this isn't this wasn't this didn't this didn't arrive at the first pneumothorax i had came at the age of 36 but by then i had a lifetime of living with chronic chronic um chronic illness so yes and then so the passion of coming into researching breath and researching the body it actually came very early on in my 20s when I realized that in order for me to find health or to tap into my own health, I, I really needed to look at my movement and look at my breath. But obviously, when I developed my first pneumothorax and then I started going into this full cycle of lung collapse after lung collapse after lung collapse, it was a complete like awakening and realization to explore breath at a much deeper level. It was almost, yeah, uh, mm. a, a calling to to come into like really dive into it. Wow. wow. And just so our listeners can get an idea, how often have you experienced that, you know, approximately? How often does that happen? So at the beginning, my first pneumothorax um, came after a very traumatic um, emergency operation that I had to have due to scar tissue and, and my Crohn's complications from my scar tissue. Mm -hmm. So it was an emergency operation. It was a very traumatic event. And um, I experienced my first pneumothorax about 10 days after the op. And at first, obviously, no one knew why I was getting this pneumothorax. I didn't actually get diagnosed until about a year later when I had had very many. And mm -hmm. in the first few years of, of having these, I had a pneumothorax each month, each mm -hmm. time I had my menstruation. Mm -hmm. um, and since then, I mean, I have stopped counting. Some have been big. Some have taken me to hospital. Sometimes I just, I know that I probably have an hemothorax, but it's small enough that I can manage it conventionally at home and just um, lay down and rest and do some breathing technique. Yeah. Um, wow. I have stopped, I don't know how many. Yeah. I am a lot older than 36, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. But still, you know, very, very scary um, situation to be in, I guess, when it was first happening. Um, but as you know, um, breathing is a, is a passion of mine. It's my first principle in my movement method for, for hypermobility. And you know, we'll go into a little bit more about that. But before we get into, into that, what are the, um, the primary breathing muscles that we need to be thinking of or aware of that could help the listeners understand a little bit more about their breathing patterns? So, um... Obviously, we can we can go into talking about breathing muscles and and the physicality of breath. I think whenever we go into um, looking at breath, we have to before we start talking about muscles. I would like to say that we breathe as a whole, that our whole body goes through a process of expansion and contraction, and that therefore us focusing on those primary breathing muscles has to be done with uh, the head of someone that is focusing on something and narrowing our vision into them and of course that is important but to have an understanding that the whole body breathes we are a full organism uh, that has developed from the inside out through our connective tissue mm -hmm. is is a continuum so that mm, we that. cannot mm -hmm. really isolate one muscle of breath now, of course, in our research of breath is important. 
yes. that we come to understand the mechanisms that um, are brought into breath and we can go quite um, you know we can go quite specific but I do um, I do think that it's important to before we go into those to just kind of mm. have a sense of how the whole body breathes as a mm. whole and every muscle in the body and every cell in the body probably feels the tidal changes of the breath. Mm. That's so beautiful. And and you just said there, um, I think you said we we grew from the inside out. So we breathe from the, was it, is that what you said, inside out? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, um, I, I am really interested in embryonic uh, development and especially in those first few weeks of our development from fertilization and how, it, I mean, we could go into a whole other podcast talking oh, about embryology, but it's, I think, really an important idea to keep in mind that we begin as one we begin yes. as one cell and um that cell is already a body that cell is already our body and we then start to go through a process of first uh, multiplication we become mad we create more and more and more cells until we've got uh, to begin to specialize and then we go through a process of a specialization in which the cells divide into different um, germ layers or so layers that are going to be specializing into becoming different tissues which will yeah. become different organs which will become yeah. different systems so we could carry on talking about that but the idea that then those cells and those layers which are not really layers but you know they are interconnected they begin to fold on themselves and by mm -hmm. folding onto ourselves we start to become this complicated organism that we are but right at the beginning there was already a pulse so there was already a pulse that original cell is already having a sense we're still we're already a pulsing being a pulsing organism yes. that becomes multicellular multicellular and incredibly intelligently specialized and developed yet mm -hmm. we are a whole so when we're looking at breath yes we're not just looking at the muscles of respiration yet i think it is important and i would like to talk about those muscles of respiration yet yeah but the fact is that um breath basically impacts everything it's not, just, it's not a one-dimensional action where we inhale through the nose and exhale through the mouth or whatever we, we might be doing. It's not like that, is it? It's not linear. It's basically it impacts everything, which, you know, I think we can all see um, Anna's passion for, for, for this topic and um, coming through. So, and I'm really interested in, in this because with hypermobility, and I'm sure it's not just hypermobility, but I see it a lot in my clients, largely because we've been in pain a lot of the time, a bit like yourself, you know, learning to live with pain, um, being fearful of movement, being fearful of hurting ourselves. We tend to develop breathing pattern disorders. Um, you know, maybe we don't exhale fully, we can't inhale fully. What would be the implications long-term of not breathing correctly, of having a breathing pattern disorder? So um, perhaps the first thing to, to look at is to talk a bit about those main muscles of, of respiration that we were talking about, that we kind of avoided the question by saying that we breathe as a whole. But so we could separate in that there are parts of us that are more involved into, in our in-breath, in our expansion. And there are parts of us that are more involved in our contraction, in our out-breath, in our coming back inwards. Yes. And, and um, so now this pulse is a balance and we have to have a complete rhythm of relationship between the expansion and the contraction in our main breathing in muscles, the main one will be the diaphragm, which is our um, that internal membrane-like musculature uh, structure that, yeah. that separates the, the thorax from the, from the abdomen. Yes. 
um, we have other muscles of inhalation like in, or, or in breath, which are the external intercostals and a lot of the upper musculature of our sternocleidomastoid, our scalenes, all those neck muscles that lift the ribs in order to increase the capacity within the thorax so that the lungs can expand. Fascinating. In terms of an outbreath, the outbreath tends to be less involved in general because the lungs have got a tendency to collapse. A lung wants to collapse. A lung is only expanded into the side of the rib cage due to the fact that there is a vacuum relationship between the tissues that line the lung and the tissues that line the inside of the thorax. So the, the lung is almost sucked into the ribs. So the in-breath and the expansion of the, of the thoracic cavity and the expansion of the diaphragm dropping down will create more suction of the lungs out, which will create more expansion. But the lungs actually want to come back in. But we can, of course, encourage the exhalation through breathing out with a little bit more emphasis. And in there, we will be involved in structures like some of the other deeper intercostals, the internal intercostals, and, and some of the abdominal musculature as well. But like I was saying before, this is a very simplistic um, resume of what is an in-breath and an out-breath. Yes. When, when we suffer from... Um, chronic pain, often there are many levels to this. There are many levels to why we will see different uh, disorders in the breathing patterns and we will mm -hmm. see, uh, we'll have implications, you know, how hypermobility or chronic, the other chronic illnesses will yes. have implications in our breath. Yes. Um, there are many levels to it. And a big important level will be stress and, and the high levels of stress that a person and uh, yeah. so much pain is, is yes. having to, to endure. Um, and how um, that stress is going to be creating uh, a change in our autonomic response, in our sense of being, and how that is going to create a, a, a stress response that is going to sort of upregulate our nervous system to be completely constantly on the on yeah. the on the alert mode and that's going to start to enervate more those sort of sympathetic fibers and that the sense of alert is going to engage yes. more that probably upper neck musculature and mm -hmm. so that will be maybe one level but also when we are in pain we kind of want to avoid moving yes. um you know a deep in breath will lower the diaphragm down into the abdomen um, with a deep in breath that is a sort of rested breath down into the abdomen, the abdominal organs are going to feel the motion of the diaphragm dropping. And yeah. those abdominal organs are going to need to um, have that room to be able to expand. Um, yeah. That's going to be felt in the organs of the abdomen, but it's going to be felt lower down it's also going to be felt through the fluid relationships within the spine if you think we often think of the spine as a very mechanical column but mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, fluid that needs to be um, transferred through those areas yeah. if you're in a state of pain probably those tiny movements of our inside will not feel comfortable we might have inflammation in our gut due to, yeah. I know that with hypermobility, yeah. this is also quite common. Absolutely. We might, yeah. we might have, um, you know, hypertonic musculature in our lumbar region that is holding because if it's not holding, it feels like everything is going to collapse. So why will this musculature want to let go and become all fluid? It just doesn't make sense. So our nervous system is alert and is thinking, okay, well, it hurts. So therefore, I'm not going to lower my diaphragm. I'm not going to get that deep breath. That could be another, another reason for it. Orland, I can just picture all our listeners sitting there nodding now because that just makes so much sense. Um, it, you know, you drew a perfect picture of, I think, of what goes on for so many people with hypermobility or, or chronic pain sufferers. Yeah. 
I, I think there are other levels as well. You know, there are also changes in the tidal volume and of your land, the lungs, mm -hmm. the capacity. The tidal volume, just in case people don't know what that is, what is that? Sure. Well, the volume of the if you think your breath as a tide, okay. If you think of your breath as the tide, yeah, the coming in of the wave and the uh, and the coming in of the tide and the living, and how we change the volume of our our capacity to expand and our capacity to come to come back. Okay. Again. Yes. Yes. So if there is a change to that to, to, the, to that barrier of how much I expand and how much I come back in, that's going to have a deeper influence, not just in the changes of the mechanics of our ribs and our diaphragm dropping, our organs moving, but also deeper into our chemistry. Because if I am not getting a certain level of oxygen and carbon dioxide balance, that's mm -hmm. going to start to change also the way that the signaling in my brain. So there is a deep part of our brain in what is called the medulla oblongata. So there's a, a deep, the deep root of our brain, which yes. is in charge is where our um, where our nucleus for um, reading the there's chemoreceptors there. There are receptors that are reading the chemistry of our of our blood. Let's say okay. how much carbon dioxide and yes. how much oxygen we have. Yes. And the relationship there can get a little broken. We can start to believe, and this is at such a subconscious level. At such a subconscious level, no one can access that deep, deep in our reptile brain. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, we can start to believe that we haven't got enough oxygen. Therefore, we then start to get stuck in a pattern of hyperventilation. I was going to say, yes, that's such a big deal as well for a lot of, a lot of people, hyperventilation. That's, that's amazing. Wow. So it is a difficult, really difficult, complicated um, pattern to break, yeah. or uh, we can get stuck in in this. Yeah. Yeah, and then it just, like you say, it becomes a pattern, um, and you've got to somehow break that pattern, retrain it. But, exactly. Yeah. But I think becoming aware that you do that. Is the first step as well because so many people don't even realize because it's become the norm that they maybe breathe up here quite shallowly or you know that's how they breathe so they don't know there's another alternative and i think part of what we do as movement therapists is to really introduce people to a new experience of their breath which is very powerful you know very emotional and now it makes sense why sometimes people will just burst into tears when they take an exhale, because all of those responses are letting go. So, oh, it's, it's beautiful. I love how you talk about the breath. I think it's, um, it's so nice and it makes so much sense. And we touched on this earlier. Um, I watched one, a webinar that you did um, with a colleague of ours, Julian Baker, um, who hopefully will come on the show as well at some point. Um, but you said in that webinar that the whole body breathes. And it just really stood out to me. I thought that was such a beautiful expression. Um, can you just explain to us again? I know you've already talked about it, but just give us a little bit more about that. I think um, you touched on something really important when you were just mentioning how sometimes through the tapping into our breath, especially if this is a new uh, a new a new experience people can experience a, a real emotional release so i think you know you're quoting me saying the whole body breathes and now about the body expanding and contracting but yes. there are so many levels to us as human the whole, I will say maybe I should say the whole human breathes because yeah. what is a body and that's another another conversation yeah. <laughs> a bit deep there but <laughs> there are so many aspects to what I am 
So I am a physical being and, you know, I can talk about my expansion and my contraction, but of course I cannot separate my physicality from my emotion. I cannot separate my physicality from my emotion. I cannot separate my emotion from from my story of what happened to me, especially yeah. for people that, you know, like us, have gone yeah. through experiencing a lifetime of chronic illness. Yeah. I I cannot separate my, you know, we could even talk about spirit. There are many, there are many levels um, yeah. to the being. Yes. So the whole being, the whole being, the whole being breathes and, and breath perhaps for me, I, I, I see it as, and it's a bit of a cliche to, to use these words that I'm using, but the breath can be, uh, it is a continuum, it is a pulsing, like we were talking before, but it's also a portal. Uh, for me, it is the portal, it's the gateway, it's mm -hmm. the, the vessel that yes. can communicate my conscious with my unconscious. Yes. Yes. So I constantly breathe. I took my first breath. You took your first breath when, when I was born. Yeah, you took yours when you yeah. were born, Ginny. Yeah. Sorry. We take our first breath as we're you know, brought into the world. We arrive into, our, into the world with an in-breath and we leave the body with an out breath. Yeah. So it's a continuum practice. And most of that time that I am practicing to breathe, I am completely unaware that I am doing this, but yeah. I am doing it, for yeah. sure doing it. Even for those, even for those listeners of yours right now that are, you know, living with a lifetime of hypermobility and how many times they probably have been told, Oh, it's because you don't breathe. No, you do breathe because otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. <laughs> so you <Yeah>. do. <laughs> but it's that um, ability of our consciousness to of, of our breath to bring in the consciousness. We can yeah. we can change the way that we breathe. We can breathe autonomically. We can breathe without paying attention. But we can then come in and breathe. What, what is called cortical breathing. Cortical because we are utilizing the cortical part of our brain, the cortex of our brain, which is where our conscious uh, motor, um, we, can, we can control the, yeah. the, the, the motion of our, of our body, so we can control the motion of our breath. So through, like you were saying, coming to tap into our own breath and paying attention to our breath, we yes. can bring the unconscious into the conscious. Yes. As we bring, we're not, I don't know that I breathe just here. I don't know that I go around life like this. Yeah, yeah. And then I sit there and I do a bit of breathing and then suddenly I realize that, oh my God, I'm letting go of something that I did never know that I was holding. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really through the breath that we get there. I mean, it's such a powerful thing. And yet, you know, I just don't think it gets enough attention, which is why I wanted to have you on the on the show. And, you know, this is all about uncovering things that we maybe don't talk about. And, you know, breath, I don't think gets enough. When you're talking about it, you're like, wow, it does so many, obviously, Breathing is important, obviously, like you say, otherwise we wouldn't be here, but it's, it's so much more than that. It does so much and influences so much. And yet, it, certainly in my Pilates training, I didn't get taught any of this. It was like, you learn to inhale when you do, what was it? Inhale to prepare, exhale to move, inhale to exhale. And you're so focused, should I be inhaling, exhaling, inhale? It's just, that's not movement. That's not movement when I'm so making it so mechanical. How can it be so mechanical when it's so deep and, oh, you know, I think it's just beautiful and it doesn't get enough attention. So thank you for sharing all of this with us. Um, so we kind of touched on this about anxiety and stress. You brought up stress and, and I think we've kind of covered it. But the fact that breath does become an indicator of how we're feeling you know, that's, that's true, right? It will show if we're upset, if we're stressed, if we're happy, 
the breath will respond to those emotions. Is that right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's, a, it's an indicator, it's a thermometer of our emotion. So much can be expressed through the breath. In fact, I don't know if you've experienced this. I, um, I had a, I mean, um, I hope it's okay. I'm going to share something a bit personal. I didn't really think I was going to share this, but it's just come up and I, I feel like. Well, so um, today, today my dad has gone into hospital with COVID. This morning I got the news that he went into hospital. And I ha my mum was hiding it from me because I'm obviously in a different country. But I heard it in her breath. I had the anxiety in her breath. And this is not because I am some enlightened being that I can hear things like this, but we know when we are very in touch with someone, especially through a phone call, we can hear the way that they are breathing, the, the, the way that they are producing sound, which is also related to their own breath, as well as their vocal cords and other things are of course involved with the production of sound. But it really very much shows our anxiety, our own, our own fear can show in, in, in the way that we are, that we are breathing. So, so breath, breath is, a, is a thermometer so that it can really indicate our state of being. It can, it can tell us about our emotion. And then at the same time, through breath, you know, as much as breath does show our state of being and our emotion, it is through our breath that we are also able to change, to change our reality, our sense, sense of how it is, our experience of what it is, um, which is, which is our own choice. That uh, is something that we can definitely get to, to do through our breath. Yes. But definitely our breath does show our anxiety, it shows our memories, it shows our story. Um, it, it, has, it has a lot of information yeah. if you want to listen to it. Yeah. And like you say, it's just a training or being present in that breath, of, of noticing it, being conscious of your breath. Because so many times, like you say, we go about our daily lives, we don't even think about it. Um, unless we have problems, like I've had pneumonia three times and, you know, suddenly breathing becomes a really big issue. You, you know, you can't breathe. Um, so you start to pay attention. Um, you have to pay attention, don't you? Yeah. And you realise suddenly how important it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm, always, I, I'm always very, you know, of course, having cataminium pneumothoraxes, I'm not happy to have this condition, but I'm always very grateful to the fact that it's a, it's a repetitive, constant rhythm that reminds me of, well, one, it reminds me that I am alive, even though yeah. I am, you know, even if I have difficulty breathing, I am still here, I am taking an in-breath, whatever quality of breath that is, so it reminds yeah. me that I am alive, yeah. and it does remind me how much my breath has got the capacity to to, to change my my reality my physical reality yeah. change does you know happen our our breath has got the capacity to change our form and also it has the capacity to change my emotional reality my sense of being in the world yes very nice and I know we spoke about this a little bit and it, again it probably comes down to you know stress as well that in hypermobility people often say to me um, I don't feel like I can get enough air in or what I observe when I'm with the clients is that when they exhale the ribs don't actually move so you were saying that the lungs like they want to collapse in a way so as you exhale there should be this sort of softening down of the ribs and everything kind of spreads out but oftentimes when, when we exhale this bit doesn't move so the lower rib cage just kind of stays there you know why would that be what's going on there that that's just kind of stuck well obviously I live it for uh researchers and hypermobility experts as yourself to go and, and explain what is happening with people with hypermobility but my explanation of it would be that 
uh, well, one, you know, the factor that we were talking about earlier on uh, in our conversation about how much the nervous system is going to avoid breathing into something that is going to be causing pain. So yes. if moving those ribs is going to be causing pain. Yes. Um, that could be one reason if moving that diaphragm, if, 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 if expanding and contracting is going to be giving me pain, I will avoid it and then therefore get, like you say, stuck. Yes. Um, often people I see, um, either they, you know, most of us are either stuck on an in-breath or we are stuck on an out-breath. And the person that you are describing, it sounds like someone that is stuck on an in-breath. The, the, the ribs kind of got to the expansion and then I, I don't want to come back in. Yes. Maybe coming back in was painful. Is that an experience of uh, pain in a physical way or is it, you know, something something emotional. deeper yeah. and emotional mm. as well? Which yes. could also be... Um, there are many different reasons why that might be, but that's that's definitely um, there are many factors. But I think that that definitely that is something that that does happen. Yes. When people are more stuck on a sort of pattern of like I can't get enough air in, the first example that you gave. Yes. That sometimes could be due to too much contraction but I think that a lot of the time that is more the response of someone that is actually suffering from hyperventilation mm. so we get stuck in this rhythm of I don't have enough air I don't have enough air yes. and that is more at a subconscious level in that um, response from those uh, chemoreceptors and 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 mechanoreceptors, the, the chemoreceptors that are in the in yes. the deep brain, yes, um, in the brain stem. Yes. So so that there is almost like at a subconscious level an understanding of our system that we don't have enough in breath, that we don't have enough oxygen, yes. and that is down to the chemistry of our blood. Um, so that's much, you know, that is a very complicated pattern that nevertheless is something that we can definitely break through doing some breath work. Good, yes. Not necessarily, but training the in-breath, but perhaps in this case by training the out-breath. So I feel like I can get enough air in. Well, it might be that we have to actually come back to the exhale and training yes. the out-breath in order to be able to expand yeah. more yeah. Um, but that is a really um, there's a lot of there's a lot of research around hyperventilation mm -hmm. and um, there is a lot of research around it in terms of like the different responses that happen uh, within the nervous system and the and the chemistry and you know different changes to um, the buffering that happens in the kidneys there's a lot of research around mm -hmm. that that is highly interesting to read but also to to explore in our in our teaching of movement yeah, as well absolutely and I think you know it's really encouraging for our listeners that um you, you you mentioned that we can change these patterns you know we don't have to stay with these patterns and these feelings it is changeable through like you say breath work movement work so, you know, take heart if you're listening to this and you're like, well, that's how I breathe. I do that. Things can change. Um, so, so take heart in that. Absolutely. Um, and one thing also, maybe I can't change my condition. And I feel like I have a little bit of, um, um, I can sort of talk to the hypermobile community a little bit from a sort of chronic illness experience, yes, although I don't have hypermobility. And I know how... I, I know firsthand how it feels when someone tells you, oh, well, that's just your reality and you can change that's your reality yeah. and that's how it is. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and we have a choice. Of course, I cannot get rid of my, um, you know, repetitive lung collapses. 
is what I do with Lois Land Collectors. Yeah. That is my own, that is my own choice. And it's absolutely fine to, of course, you know, dwell in my own sorrow and my own self-pity when I'm in the middle of my land collapse. Yeah. Yet actually to come to sort of yeah, but but yet I'm I've got um, there's always a lot of health until the moment we die. You know, there is a lot of health, even when I am struggling to breathe. Yeah. Even nice. when I am in a lot of pain. Where is my health? Can I tap yeah. into that health? And then from the health I can I can yeah. pray. That's a nice way of putting it. That's really nice. Um, can we move on to a big topic for certainly for our listeners? And I've experienced issues myself, so it's a personal um, issue for me. Um, pelvic floor and breath. Now I know that they're related and, you know, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor work together, but could you explain a little bit more about that relationship? And largely because a lot of us, me included, had or have a hypertonic pelvic floor. So we have a lot of tension in there. And yet um, we're told to do Kegel exercises, pelvic floor contractions, because people don't realize that it's hypertonic. So they think we've got weak pelvic floors, let's strengthen it up. And then, of course, things get worse because you're trying to train a muscle that's already fatigued and it's just going to let you down. So for me, the thing that really helped with my pelvic floor was breath work and actually understanding this relationship. Could you explain it to us um, a little bit more about how they work together? Sure. So when we earlier were talking about the diaphragm moving down, um, in a very simplistic way of understanding or in a very simple way of explaining it more than understanding a very simple way of explaining it the diaphragm as we are uh, as the diaphragm is is drawing down is increasing the thoracic capacity so the thorax increases its volume mm -hmm. and the abdomen is then going to be compromised because the diaphragm is coming down yes. now the thorax has a communication with the outside through the mouth and the nose so it can change its volume and it can also change it can change its shape and it can also change its volume whereas the abdomen cannot change its volume as such you know it can change its shape but it's actually an enclosed chamber so in that enclosed chamber of the abdomen there is a lot of soft fluid you think of the organs we need to really feel and sense that the organs within our abdomen are going to be fluidly moving as the diaphragm is dropping down and there's going to be a change to the walls of that chamber and also the floor of that chamber so that you could sense how the organs as we're taking an in-breath are going to be expanding forwards into the abdomen, sideways into the abdomen and back into the back wall of the abdomen. Yes. But also they're going to be having an important sense of being able to drop down towards the pelvis. So there needs to be, and when I'm talking about drop down or expand, there's a tiny, it's not, they're not big movements, they're no. they tidal motions of our inside. So the pelvis is therefore needing to be able to receive this motion of how there is an expansion when there is an in-breath and then there is a, a drawing up and a contraction when there is an, there is an out-breath. Yes. But like we were talking about earlier, the actual action is the in-breath and the out-breath in the out-breath, there is less intensity. Of course, we can force the exhalation and therefore engage all the abdominal musculature and get a little bit more involved. But the out-breath is an, an out-breath at rest. The lung wants to collapse. It just happens. The diaphragm releases and the out-breath happens. Yes. So to train our pelvic floors to constantly contract in the action of the exhalation or to actually constantly contract at all times is, is questionable, is questionable. Uh, so the pelvis has its own in-breath and its own, its own out-breath. Mm. Um, so that's at, that's at one level. In yeah. terms of the pelvic floor, 
which yeah. we could say more than a pelvic floor, perhaps we could use different words like pelvic diaphragm or pelvic hammock. Yeah. Um, it needs to be an expansion and a contraction as much as anything else is an expansion and a contraction. With yeah. the idea that we were talking earlier of the body being a whole, uh, mm. the being being a whole. If the pelvic floor or the pelvic diaphragm is, a con is in a constant contraction, then obviously there is something yes. that is not functioning properly yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. And this is such a kind of fluid mechanical relationship between the pelvic floor and the diaphragm. But our, our, our pelvis is, is highly, highly affected also by our um, autonomic nervous system and our state of mind. So again, you know, any stress, as much as we contract through the shoulders, we are going to be holding down okay. there. So any pain is going to take us towards, towards this constant holding yeah. of the inside. Some of our listeners, that will be a, a, a really, really chronic condition that interferes with their everyday life. You know, the pelvic floor, the pain that they experience in the pelvic floor area stops them living a normal life, unfortunately. And, and we work constantly to find ways to help them, you know, recognize that, release that through breath. But um, I guess it becomes one of those patterns again that the pelvic floor just as soon as there's any kind of change, it just wants to contract again. Um, I just, it's such a deep muscle group, isn't it? That it's very, very, very tricky to, to talk to it, I guess, yeah. you know, to kind of communicate with it. Um, yes, uh, and uh, it, it comes to the fact that we need to get to it through tapping into our subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something that we can consciously change. We can become yeah. conscious that we do it. Yes. But we cannot change it consciously. So I believe breath is that portal, as we were saying earlier, that takes us to be able to kind of move from these two um, realms of what, yeah. what I do consciously and what I yeah. unconsciously do. Um, yeah. So, so breath is one way of, of getting there for the pelvis, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and this kind of leads on to my next question, um, core stability training. You know, the old, been around for a long, long time, but sucking your pelvic floor, brace your abdominals and do that for an hour in your Pilates class. You know, Pilates, unfortunately, is is well known for that. Um, it's not something I ever taught because um, it never seemed right to me. I didn't understand why I had to suck in my pelvic floor for an hour of my Pilates class and then forget about it for the rest of the week. Or are we supposed to hold it in for the whole 24 seven? And, you know, it didn't make sense. So I never, you know, I wanted to know more about how this, how we as a whole operate. So what do you think of this whole core stability training the core what is the core you know is it the pelvic floor you know I know this is a whole other topic but yes this is this is a whole episode <laughs> Jenny. we, we do a whole other, do another one on what is the core I know but what do we think sure. of of the core stability that I should be mm -hmm. holding my pelvic floor bracing my abdomen and then trying to exercise of any kind mm. So Pilates, Pilates is a fantastic movement method yeah. that we both trained in and we both have loved for years. Uh, but as any method and as any technique, it is very, it's got its limits. It has its limits. So, um, I mean, then we could go into different conversations because of course there are many Pilates teachers like yourself and myself that don't teach in this way, but it is something, and, and, and you know, luckily the Pilates community is also changing and beginning to realize that this is perhaps not so uh, effective and not, not, not so functional. Yeah. Um, we cannot, it's not possible for us to isolate 
isolate one muscle. The muscles, they didn't kind of get put in. Like we said earlier, as we grow from the inside yeah. out, then there is not different muscles. There is one big muscle that is the body. And in, his, in, his, in our intention to understand it, we come to, to separate it into different compartments, the different muscles, but actually they're all interconnected through yeah. our connective tissue. Um, so the body works like an orchestra and sometimes the trumpets are playing and sometimes they quieten down to let the trombone take take over. Um, um, so yes, sometimes of course there's going to be some more deeper connection coming into yeah. a certain particular area. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really make sense to bring all our attention to one famous muscle that is the latest trend and then, then just focus on, on this one muscle. Yeah. With, um, with this um, idea of just contracting the pelvic floor or, you know, lifting it and, you know, any Kegel, it has its place. It has its place in very specific situations. But first of all, we have to really understand who are we teaching this to and why are we teaching this? Mm -hmm. What is our intention? And if we are coming across, you know, situations like some of the people that we were talking about, you were talking about earlier that are living their life through um, you know, with pelvic pain, or there are lots of different uh, labels that mm -hmm. you know, we could, that, that might not actually be the, the most effective yeah. thing to do. And, and this contraction, let's remember, is, a, is also not part of our conscious um, uh, motor response, because these are, these are um, fast twitch fibers that these muscles have, so that they are actually doing more of a of a constant stability um they have more of a constant stability um emphasis rather than than a than a muscle like uh like your biceps or yeah. but, and, but yeah and relating that to breath of course if you're holding the pelvic floor and and drawing in the, the transversus we're always told transversus abdominus um how can we breathe like we've been talking about breath for nearly an hour and how wonderful it is and how the whole body breathes but if i'm bracing here and then i'm asked to do whatever exercise how the breath can't really flow as it might be intended to do in a natural way yes and that's going to have a lot of implications not just for our musculature but also for our organs for our glands for our lymphatics for everything that actually needs to go through that constant pulse of yes. the expansion and the contraction and the expansion and the contraction yes. and again and again and that repetition and we are stuck in we are we're training people to get stuck uh, in, in, in one place. So yes, it won't be able, you know, if we just hold in the yeah. transverses, we won't be able to to fully expand yeah. and and breathe. And why would we want to do that, especially with with population that, you know, with people that are in in chronic pain? Absolutely. What is the value of that? It does yeah. that's really come to question. The really interesting thing is you having you said that is that when people come to see me and they, you know, maybe I've been taught to do that um, in other methods, other, you know, other people have taught them this. Um, you know, it's just a very common thing, isn't it, that you've been taught to do the pelvic floor bracing. So when I actually stop them doing that, pain starts to dissipate. Because all of a sudden the flow comes back, we can start to move naturally. We're not binding things down anymore with tension. Because I always think we're kind of interfering with the, with the natural workings of our body. We're kind of imposing our will on yeah, something yeah. that no, we, we're so, the body is so intelligent, it knows exactly what to do. And yet we're telling it, well, no, hold this muscle here, hold this muscle here and, you know, kind of it's just messing everything up I think you just mess up the whole system so 
when you stop doing in you know in a lot of cases you stop all of that pelvic floor bracing and you actually start to breathe and the pain just suddenly starts to disappear um so for me that's got to be a good thing right that's got to mean that the body is happier not absolutely um and that's really interesting thank you anna um so I know it's a little bit cheeky, and um, but I wanted to ask you whether you would share with us any tips or a visualization or something you know that our readers could, our readers, our listeners could um, could experience from you. You know, is there anything that you could share with us now that? Sure, uh, happy do? to. Oh, yeah. that would be great. That's a real treat, actually. So, thank you. Yeah honor that you ask and um, there are many things we could do um, like anything that we've just said is it's really about tapping into our own experience of the breath so I could share with everyone listening just a, a little bit of an internalizing of our, our own felt sense mm. very much your experience separate to what I will feel or someone else yes. and I like to use visualization so I like to use um, um, the physical being and our own uh, embodiment of our own anatomy in order to have perhaps a separate um, sense of our reality mm. so perhaps we can do that with the breath Moving yes. into our heart, which is is quite a is quite a is something that people don't often think about, and we haven't really come to talk about this. But the heart is embedded into our diaphragm, so the heart actually feels every every single in breath and every single out breath as a as a massage, or it doesn't because the diaphragm mm. might lift or, or 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 it might drop or not. Yes. Um, well, that sounds so, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So maybe just sitting there where, wherever it is you are, and if this is a podcast, so if you are listening from your car and you are driving and you are going to join, maybe join later or pull <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah, pull over, pull over now. Pull over now. <laughs> Don't do this while you're driving, especially. <laughs> so finding that if you are if you are sitting perhaps noticing what it is that you are sitting on just seeing if you can feel the the hardness of the chair underneath you or, or the floor or if it's soft and it's a sofa maybe finding a way of sitting in which you can direct the weight onto the center of your sitting bones in order to feel that you're able to, to lift up from there. And then if it helps to close your eyes, then allowing your eyes to close so that you can travel inwards, bring your attention to how it is that it feels to breathe for you right now. So first of all, not trying to change anything yeah, it's only just sensing what your breath tells you about about today, about about now, about this moment. Maybe that is hard to stop and sense how it feels to breathe, or it might be that it's easy. That is how long it takes you to breathe in sense how long it takes you to breathe out. And sense whether there is a rhythm there. And as you are coming to tap into this rhythm, which is your own rhythm, notice how every time you take a breath, there is an expansion. And like we were saying, this is an expansion of your whole being we're going to narrow our attention to an expansion of our thorax. Notice how your thorax, your chest, opens and expands sideways in an in-breath. And it drops and comes back towards your center in an out-breath. 
perhaps in the next cycle of breath, notice how not only the breath sends the ribs sideways, but also there is more of a space between the front and the back of you. Your breastbone travels gently forwards as your spine travels gently back as you breathe in. And how as you exhale, you just become that little narrower, the sides of you, the front of you, the back of you come back towards your center. And notice how that expansion also happens towards the top and the base of that thorax. So as you are breathing in, the top of your breastbone joins gently lifts forwards and up and there's a sense of perhaps the lower ribs at your back are expanding backwards and you might feel that you're able to breathe into your lumbar spine they kind of have a sense of how you can breathe into your lower back and how everything softens especially your shoulders your upper thorax as you breathe out Taking a couple more cycles of an in-breath and an out-breath to tap into this. Notice how that expansion doesn't just happen to the outside, but also the lungs expand inwards. So in your next in-breath, just notice how when you breathe in your lungs, breathe in towards your heart. Feel there there is spongy cotton wool texture, quality coming to caress your heart in an in-breath. Feel how with your inhalation you are coming to gently massage your heart as you breathe in and how as you can feel the lungs retrieving away from the heart, giving a little bit more space for the lungs, for the heart to raise as you exhale. This might be easy or maybe not accessible to you. So if this is not something you can picture, then go back to some of the other ideas that might have resonated with you a bit more. But if that, if that felt okay, then taking another couple of in-breaths and out-breaths without trying to breathe in really deep or forcing anything. Just calmly sensing how every time you're breathing in, you are hugging the heart with your lungs. Every time you're exhaling, your heart gently lifts and it actually travels forwards and up a little bit. Breathing in, the heart drops a little, the lungs come to gently hug and caress the heart. Breathing out, the heart lifts and the lungs get away to let the heart travel forwards and up. And taking a little bit more time to carry on going through this practice Noticing how that feels for you, maybe not just in your chest, maybe elsewhere in the body. And then slowly letting the breath be soft. Come back to a place of only just paying attention in attention as a non-looker without intending to change anything. How you feel. 
And let's bring ourselves back into the room gently by either opening the eyes or wriggling around a little bit. That was simple. Simple oh. tapping into how we can change our breath oh. by paying attention to it. That was so beautiful. That was so beautiful. Thank you, Anna. That was um, so nice to focus on the heart as well and visualizing the lungs coming in and hugging the heart. It was beautiful. I feel quite relaxed now. So if my voice has dropped and my breath has got a little slower, everyone listening, <laughs> that's why I just feel very uh, grounded, I guess the word is, and very, um, yeah. That was really nice. Thank you so much, Anna. I hope everyone enjoyed Thank that. You if you're still, if nobody's fallen asleep, of course, because it was very calming, you might feel that you can have a little nap now. You know, <laughs> just settle into that. That's beautiful. Oh, well, I really, really enjoyed our time, Anna. And Me um, too, thank you for sharing all your passion with our with our listeners. Um, how can people learn more about your work? Where can they find you if they want to learn a little bit more about what you do? Um, well, I suppose they could go to my my website. I, I run Evolve Movement Education. Yeah. Uh, so they can go to evolvemovementeducation.com and there are different uh, things that they can learn about me there. Uh, or they can they can look, if they can spell my surname, they can look for me <laughs> online and then they might get to find me on Facebook and Instagram and other places. But yeah, Evolve Movement Education yeah is the uh is the is the place to go yeah yeah and anna's on all social media so um don't worry we'll spell your name in the notes correctly yes <laughs> you, don't worry don't worry <laughs> oh thank you so much anna for joining us and um i hope you all enjoyed that and i certainly learned so much about uh the anatomy of the breath and um some really beautiful visualizations so um, let us know what you think. Leave us some comments. Um, if you've got any questions for Anna, just leave them in the comment box. I'll make sure she gets them. And um, until next time on Finding Your Range, keep moving. <laughs> <laughs>